0: Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with Kevin Rook, and the reason I wanted him back on the show is I wanted to get an update on something that is really exploding in popularity over the last 12 months specifically, it's the Lightning Network. If you're not familiar with this thing, it's basically a financial layer that's sitting on top of Bitcoin that is enabling transactions. So it's, al- it's allowing almost instant transactions to settle globally around the world. And I really think it's gonna change economic activity for the better, and it's gonna make things very fruitful for a lot of us in ways that we don't even understand yet. So to have Kevin on here is an amazing opportunity for me personally to get an update on what's happening with the Lightning Network. What are some of the applications we should be paying attention to? What are some of the latest players doing in the Lightning Network? Wait till you hear some of the things that he shares specifically around NOSTER and what's happening with NOSTER. If you're, if you're not familiar with that, it's a new decentralized protocol that is enabling a lot of things. I'll let him get into the details of it on this episode. And the reason that we really feel this is important is that the biggest things that have helped us propel perhaps our time and monetary freedom, financial freedom over the last few years has been the ability to spot trends and ride them. And what Kevin is tracking here looks to me as another massive trend that is not getting enough attention. So I'm keeping my beady little eyes on this trend and I'm really fascinated by this space. So this was a very perhaps selfish episode for myself and I wanted to get the updates and now we are sharing it with all of us here. So that's what we're doing on this episode with Kevin. And listen, if you are here listening to this and you're interested in investment real estate of some sort, you can get all the information that we share on this matter at rockstarinnercircle.com. Sometimes I don't do a good enough job explaining the membership that we run here but there's a membership that we have and probably one of the most interesting things that we do is share a monthly newsletter that goes out to all of our members about all the latest real estate happenings in the greater Toronto area and it's also where we share all the success stories of who's doing what in real estate. So if we have somebody that we're working with do something awesome for perhaps in Barrie, Ontario, maybe they have a really cool way that they turned a property into a duplex or a legal uh, second suite was added to the property. Then if you're investing in Kitchener or Cambridge or Hamilton or Toronto or St. Catharines, you can learn from them because we're putting it in this newsletter. So it's our way to share every month what real estate investors around this area are doing and then they give back by sharing those lessons in the newsletter and we send it out to all the members of the rockstar inner circle so that's just one of the things you get as a rockstar inner circle member you can check out all the benefits of becoming a member by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com so that's rockstarinnercircle.com click around there and you'll find a menu option about the membership we run and all the wonderful benefits you get as a rockstar inner circle member that's it for the intro Okay. We are on with Kevin Rook. Oh my, I'm, I, I I don't want to mess it up. I feel like I asked you this last time, Kevin Rook. Yeah, you got it. Rook, Kevin Rook. And um, Kevin has been on before. I was just thanking him before recording here that uh, we're really grateful that you're on because, well, why don't you share with everybody? What are you doing right now? Because you're having some great discussions. What are you up to? Can you describe what you do? How do you describe what you do to your friends and stuff? Sure. So I think most people are familiar with the
1: podcast. Uh, anyone who, who knows my name would know me through the podcast. And that is something that I've been focusing on for the last year or two, speaking with builders in the Lightning Network ecosystem. About a year and a half ago, or I guess maybe now two years ago, I realized there was something happening in Lightning and no one was tuning in, no one was paying attention. And so I figured, why not you know, start studying it? I did a little angel investing have started this podcast and this all is in pursuit of like helping people understand what's happening with the light network, because I think it's a really important innovation that often gets overlooked because it doesn't come attached with some crazy, you know, tokenomic scheme that is going to make everyone rich tomorrow. It's, it's a kind of subtle way of introducing this cool payment system and it takes, it takes a lot of, uh, it's a, it's a slow process to get the lightning network built in a, in a decentralized way. And then to get people to use it, because again, there's no immediate, you know, sugar rush of like insane yields or some like some mechanism that's going to pull people immediately to jump right in and, and, you know, get, get FOMO like they would in some other asset class that, that, skyrockets, right? It's all built on Bitcoin. And so the, the thing that I saw that was interesting was just that now we can take this Bitcoin tool that we have, and we can use it in so many new interesting ways. We can send it for basically nothing, very low fees that scale down to zero. And we can send those transactions in new ways across the internet. And so in a way, I think this was Jack Dorsey's term was that the internet needs a native... Currency and, and Bitcoin is now becoming that native currency, piggybacking on the Lightning
0: network, using that as the rails through which the Bitcoin is transferred. So you've, you've described it already a little bit there, but for someone listening who's familiar with Bitcoin, how would you describe the Lightning network? Would it be that it is this kind of payment network? Like, how do you describe it to people? Yeah, I think
1: that's the best way to think about it. If you're, if you're, new, if you're new to Bitcoin or new to Lightning, think of it as a peer-to-peer payments network. So I can send money directly to you or to you through another participant in this network. And there's, there's thousands of channels that are connecting different participants on the network today. But really what's happening is payments are hopping from one participant to another, to another, to another, and they're eventually reaching their end destination. And the participants in the middle are the ones routing the payment. They are the ones, you know, they typically charge a small fee to pass along a payment, take in a payment from one person, send it out to another, and you have enough of those connections. They're all happening kind of at light speed. And so what happens is at the end of these connections, this payment from person A, who doesn't know person B can happen through this, through this like connection network. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's plenty of money now on this network. I think the latest I saw was about 5,500 Bitcoin of liquidity kind of parked in
0: channels on this network, waiting to be sent back and forth between participants. It's almost when you see like a diagram of it, it's almost like a neural network, you know, yeah. or like a, a spider web or a neural network, like this interconnected thing where payments are kind of hopping around and then just for anyone listening, would it be fair? Is this fair or not fair? Is it fair to say that these people running these lightning nodes that are facilitating this are all basically just individuals around the world and that this is a decentralized thing or is that not fair to describe it that way? Is it 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 more centralized? Okay. So
1: now now there's big players. Yeah. And it, it, at first it was a, there was this hobbyist movement and it still exists today. And there's still quite a strong community when there's, there's communities called the ones called PledNet, lots of node operators, sharing ideas and strategies and, and tools with each other about how to operate their lightning nodes are connecting with each other to pass liquidity around the network. But then you're seeing now bigger players. You have a lot of enterprise players in the lightning space voltage and river and uh block just created a lightning node with c equals and there you're now starting to see the development of enterprise lightning services and so these are kind of managing tools that can manage and abstract away the complexity of lightning because not every business is going to want to deal with that right not every every business is going to want to you know know the mechanics of routing payments through this you know, network of liquidity and trying to figure out you know what's the fastest path to reach a certain node, or how can I maintain my liquidity when demand is high? All these questions are now being solved by enterprises stepping in. And so they're starting to operate some pretty big nodes. And then the third kind of participant, so the enterprises are that I just described are are offering liquidity services. So they're kind of like abstracting away the complexity, helping you out. But then there's another class of participants that are exchanges. And those exchanges are typically offering lightning uh, funding and withdrawals for their customers. There is some overlap. Some also offer lightning services. But the exchange category last I checked was about 46% of the Bitcoin on the lightning network in public capacity terms
0: is held by these exchanges. Uh,
1: So there's about a dozen or two.
0: And why would people want an exchange to offer lightning functionality? What is in it for like the end user in that capacity? Like what's the importance of that? well, so
1: one one thing that I think is useful for people who use exchanges is these people are typically traders, right? and so if if you're a trader and you don't have funds on a particular exchange, but you notice an arbitrage opportunity there and, and maybe you see maybe you see two prices on different exchanges that are not the same, and you're like, I know I can make a spread trade here. I know I can make money on this, but if you have to now fund your account using the Bitcoin blockchain, it's 10 minutes for your first confirmation. Maybe, maybe you can't even use your funds for three confirmations. And so you have this, now you've lost this arbitrage opportunity. Lightning lets you fund instantly. You can move money quicker. You can take funds off an exchange. If there's a panic, if there's some, some reason you need your funds immediately, you have them. You don't have to go through long withdrawal periods. But then also another another element is now people are really earning Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. And now this is just a, a cool new tool for them to a new path that they can take to bring all the Bitcoin they've earned through all sorts of apps that we can get into today mm-hmm. onto an exchange. And then if they need to sell some, they can sell some. If they need to, you know, send it on-chain after that, the exchange can act as that facilitator. So for example, I can take funds from Lightning, I can move them onto an exchange, the exchange can then send them out in on-chain, on Bitcoin, and so then I can deposit them into a you know cold
0: storage wallet. Jeez, this stuff's happening fast. It is a basic, basically what we're doing is recreating all the stuff that any economy would want to happen. But instead of using the whole legacy systems to do it, we're now doing it all digitally native. And you can see Bitcoin, to me, is becoming that foundational layer of all the things that people want to do. And I think some people might think it's happening really slowly. And other people who aren't paying attention to this will look back every 12 months. And if they pay a bit of attention once a year, they're going to be like, holy shit, this is happening super fast. You know, like you kind of have two parties where like one group is like, this is taking too long. Nothing's happening. And another group is like, what the hell? Because just hearing you say that is, to me, you know, pretty pretty crazy because now we can send money around the world really quickly. You can send it to exchanges. You could send it to your friend. Um, The best demonstration that I've done with people, I just did this with some friends I was down in Florida and they had never used lightning before. So I'll be curious what you think of this little example, but I got them to download wallet of Satoshi, which is a lightning app. And I had some, you know, I had some Bitcoin in wallet of Satoshi already. And I think I took 25 cents worth or, you know, 50 cents worth. I don't know what it was like a thousand sats, something like that to 2,500 sats, whatever it was. And I said, okay, I'm going to send it from my wallet to your wallet. We both had our, our, our phones up. And, you know, they had their wallet of Satoshi. I got their receiving address. So for anyone listening, that's just the address where you're sending the Bitcoin to. And I, you know, got my my wallet of Satoshi. And I'm like, all right, send this guy 2,500 sats. And I pressed send or confirm or whatever it said on the button. And it literally shocked him because he saw it pop up on his phone instantly. And, you know, that was like the breathtaking moment for him. Like He literally, it was like a physical, it was a physical reaction. what just happened. He was like, Whoa, you know? And the beauty of that is that's final settlement to him. Like there's no other waiting for him to get the money for me. It's done. That transaction's over. So if he needed to go and do something else, he could instantly send that money on to someone else. And, uh, that to me was like the most that's I've done that demo a few times to people. And I, I just love their reaction. Um, is that the kind of demo you do with friends or what do you do to show the lightning network to someone? So that's a cool one. I think one, one way
1: you can make it, take it to the next level is if you have multiple people, if you have like four or five people, you can have them uh, all chain, Daisy chained and yeah. different apps. Like that's, that's where the interoperability comes into play where, you know, all of a sudden, if, if you're doing everything between wallet of Satoshi, it's cool. But then, you know, I could say I can do all that through shake pay in Canada, right? Shake Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And back and forth, but if you're now doing it, Wallet of Satoshi to Moon to Breeze to, you know, a, across different Lightning apps and Cash App, and you you start to see like how interoperability is an important piece of this puzzle. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's that a, could, you know, light up another light bulb in people's heads. Uh, okay. So now I, I have a
0: go ahead. Go it, ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. I, I think that earning is,
1: is also a, a very interesting way to onboard someone. It, Once people, and Noster's is a cool way to
0: do it now. Okay. So Especially, let me get you the, hold on. Let me, I'm going to definitely ask okay, you about we'll this. Let me ask you something first though. Um, what are your favorite, like lightning, just simple, basic lightning wallets right now? Do you have like a, you know, a favorite one is a wallet of Satoshi, a, a different one. And can you just describe it a little bit for someone who's never heard of like, what is a, what is a lightning wallet? So do you have a favorite one or a top two or three or whatever? And what is it exactly? I, I use a bunch of them. I, I test them out mostly. And I often
1: use the wallet itself as a tool to move funds from the various apps and services that I use and, and kind of like consolidate them or send them out or maybe pay for things on Lightning Network. Uh, but you know, there, there's there's a spectrum of wallets that serve a lot of different needs. For beginners, wallet of Satoshi is a great starting point. It gives you the idea of the Lightning Network. You get to you get to understand the mechanics of sending and receiving it is custodial though so they they do have control of those funds while you're using that wallet you can branch out into non-custodial options there's Zeus there's Breeze there's also there's there's a, more than a dozen by now and, and what does non-custodial
0: them, mean just to describe for everyone listening so
1: it'd be self yeah self-custodial meaning like you are in control of your own funds so and that's kind of the the ideals that bitcoiners try and spread in the world is that there's a big difference between you know someone holding money for you and saying that you have this money, and you actually holding that money yourself. And so that's what the, the self-custodial wallets allow. Did you, to you see? Do. T- I don't
0: know if you saw it today, Paul. Did you see Paul Krugman on t- Twitter today? Yeah. He's, I think he's, I thought- he's yeah, he was complaining about Venmo or whatever he uses to move money around. And I guess <laughs> they locked him out of his account or he couldn't get access to his account and he was complaining. And everyone who was into Bitcoin just annihilating this poor guy. <laughs> on Twitter saying, Hey, like there's a solution that you dismiss to this. It's called Bitcoin. You should ch- check it out. And, uh, anyway, sorry, sorry to d- d- divert from our discussion there, but okay. So like a self custodial would be where you are running some piece of software that's acting as the, uh, or it's giving you the ability to custody the Bitcoin yourself.
1: Yeah. And some people might be familiar with the idea of like, writing down 12 words or 24 words, you know, a secret kind of passphrase that typically there's some level of that, that comes with self-custody some way you are, you are taking control of your own keys. And so you are now responsible for your own funds. Of course, that has the, the, for some people, it's a drawback of now you have to watch out what you're doing with your money. There's no one there to save you. If you do something wrong, um but there's a spectrum right i think i think a lot of bitcoiners align with the self custodial view that we should all be taking control of our money but th- to to a lot of beginners that's a very it's a view that is uh, hard to grasp and hard to understand and it it i think a lot of beginners struggle with the idea of why would i even want to take control of my money especially if you you live in a country like canada where you know we we have a pretty good mm-hmm. all things considered Uh, There's a lot of countries. I think I think the whole
0: trucker convoy thing woke a lot of Canadians up to that, though, because some people who I would say were maybe not even sympathetic to that movement did comment to me that, like, oh, geez, maybe I should get some of this Bitcoin stuff because they Mm -hmm. had this idea that they could custody it themselves. So I think even in Canada, there's been a little bit of a change in kind of consciousness around that concept. Yeah. That. uh, But uh, but you're right. You know, it's kind of like when you first look into gold. And then you think, oh, I'm gonna take possession of gold directly myself. And people were like, well, why would you do that? You know. So like, if you've already gone down the gold path, then it might be more obvious to you why you would wanna custody Bitcoin. At least that's where I was coming from. Like I understood the value of like custodying gold myself. So then the Bitcoin concept was a little bit more approachable when I finally understood it, after dismissing it for many years first, which I did. You know, like, I'm too smart for that Bitcoin thing. Be (laughs) gone, you know? Um, Okay. So, and then another question then for you, if somebody has some Bitcoin and they send it to a Lightning wallet, can they get it back to their Bitcoin wallet pretty simply right now? Or is that a complicated thing that they can't really do? So
1: this is another thing that depends on the wallet you're using. If you're using a wallet or if you're using an exchange or a service, like it varies. Some are Lightning only wallets and you actually can't send uh, you have to be able to, you know, you have to be sending funds on Lightning Network to receive them there. Others will allow you to swap on chain natively, like within the app. They'll they'll figure out a way on the back end to allow your Lightning funds to come in and then your on chain funds to go out. And so, uh, you know, there's like Wallet of Satoshi, for example, does allow Bitcoin and Lightning. Uh, that's the kind of like beginner friendly version of like. They will let you send funds in Bitcoin, out Lightning, swap them as you wish, and they'll just figure it out on the back end. Uh, they do charge a little fee for that, but that's, that's kind of a service that is developing around um, you know, Bitcoin Lightning that I think will be more popular over time.
0: Yeah, got it. And I think that's a big deal. The first time I monkeyed around with Lightning, I sent a bit of Bitcoin to my Lightning wallet. I was playing around with a node that I didn't really know what I was doing. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how to get it out like now it's in there. <laughs> I, didn't know. I was thankful that I didn't send like a whole bunch to it, but I was kind of stuck, but it's come so far already. And that would be, I guess, maybe maybe two years ago or so. I can't remember a year and a half ago, but it feels like it's come so far already where that's not really as much of an issue anymore. Right. Um, okay. So there's this thing, lightning, it's this kind of financial transactional layer that's super fast that kind of settles Bitcoin pretty instantly. There's bigger players coming into the game. What else are you noticing? And there's wallets, of course, some like we talked about wallet of Satoshi um, that is non-custodial, but then there's self-custodial options um, that you can use as well. One of your favorites being, which one again? Sorry, what was one of your favorites? For, for wallets in general or self-custodial? For, self, for self-custodial. Zeus is a good one for
1: self-custodial. Uh, But again, there are there are over a dozen now uh, wallets across the spectrum of self custodial to, you know, third party
0: custodial. Okay, and all of this is allowing money to be set around the world with kind of final settlement pretty much instantly at very low fees uh, trending down. Now, what else are you seeing now we can kind of get to your, you were going to bring up like, what other fun thing? You know, the kind of floor is yours. You, you talk sure. on your, you do a great job on your podcast talking to so many other people. What is exciting you or what are you paying attention to right now? Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things that lightning enables is because now
1: you can send money in really small increments. I mean, before lightning, like how would you have sent 10 cents to someone you like, you and I wouldn't do this. We, it's not something that is normal for us. We've never, you know, bought something on the internet for ten cents. We've never sent ten cents directly to someone. It's like, I think even internet e-transfers have a minimum of like a dollar or five dollars. You have you have all sorts of payment methods that actually have minimums that you know you never really bump into because it doesn't make sense to send that small amount. And so all the all the things you buy on the internet are you know ten bucks or more. Um, all things you even buy in grocery stores. People don't want to serve you. If you're, if you buy something for $2 on a credit card, they go, you know, actually, if you, if you're under $10, it's an extra 50 cents. Mm -hmm. And that's why, because it's so hard to process those tiny, tiny payments. And so what happens is because it's so hard to process tiny payments, you now have an entire economy of tiny, tiny payments that can be on online, offline, all over the place that cannot be that that no one can express their desire to make those payments. So this entire economy, the one one analogy that I thought was really good from from uh, Strikes founder Jack Mallers. I believe he did a, a speech about how when stock trading went from like $10 per stock, you know, $10 fee every time you trade to Robinhood offering $0 trading. It enabled all this, you know, a mania of stock trading. Everyone wanted to become a stock trader, a day trader, right? And we saw that over the last couple of years. And you can argue whether that's for good or for bad, but it did open the floodgates. There was an entire economy that we didn't even know existed, right? We thought, oh, only you know, professional investors or you know, older, wealthier people like to do stock trading. And and now we realize, wait, you know, 18 year olds that are getting their first paycheck, they can also do stock trading too. And so I think we're gonna see something similar on Lightning where Hmm. now that we've opened up the floodgates, all these transactions that could have been happening between like a a dollar, 10 cents, one cent, one-tenth of a cent, one-hundredth of a cent, one-thousandth of a cent, like Hmm. all these little tiny transactions. Yeah, never thought about it that way. Yeah, and so that's what I'm really excited about. Like what what are we gonna unleash in that vertical? All those little transactions. And so there's like we're seeing early signs of it right now. I think one of the cool apps that is in the Lightning ecosystem is pretty popular. It's called Stacker News. It's like Reddit, but instead of earning upvotes or, you know, Reddit's proprietary token of that's not worth anything to anyone, you earn sats. And so, you know, if if I post an article there and someone likes it, instead of hitting upvote, they hit a little lightning bolt and it sends me sats. And so I get 10 sats and I go, well, you know, 10 sats. it's only, you know, it's less than a penny. I think a penny is like 40 sats today or something, uh, 25 or 40 sats. I can't remember. But if, if now hundred people send 10 sats, mm-hmm. you know, now I have a thousand sats. What happens if hundred million people do that? Like you see, you see people getting likes on Instagram or Facebook, or whatever in the millions, even on Twitter, when Elon tweets, he gets millions of likes sometimes. What happens if it's millions times, you know, 10 sats? Then all of a sudden you're at 10 million sats. 10 million sats is a tenth of a Bitcoin. And that's thousands of dollars. And it's, it's kind of, you can collect it from a large group of people. And so to each participant there, it's a really insignificant amount of money, less than a penny. But when you combine it across the internet, You start to go, whoa, we can now bundle tiny, tiny fractions of payments, direct them to the people who are creating great content. And now all of a sudden to the end person who who created the content, they actually receive a
0: meaningful sum of money. So that's what I'm excited about. That's, that's pretty good. Like you're just making me realize that, If somebody was to put out a good piece of content, somebody is a good baker and they come up with an amazing chocolate chip recipe and they just posted it to stacker news. I don't know if that would be posted to stacker news or not, but if they posted it there and everybody was, or not everybody, but, you know, globally, there was a hundred thousand people who just said, Oh, that's like the best chocolate chip cookie ever made. I'm going to send you five, you know, five cents worth of Bitcoin. So however many sats that would be, um, you're right. People who just create good stuff and bring value to the global community can now be rewarded quite handsomely in just these tiny increments that would be rounded to zero before, but now the economic ability is there for that to be transacted between each other. It's kind of, that is kind of game changing, especially if you extrapolate five years forward from today, because a lot of the media that we use is not really designed to allow those types of transactions. But now I'm sure we're going to talk about Noster in in a second, but now you can start to, and Stacker News is doing it, you can start to see the evolution of this I never really thought about that like how the there's so much value in the economic activity of transactions maybe below a dollar mm-hmm. that we've just never really dealt with. I really yeah. like and how you described that Kevin. And yeah. like for
1: the longest time they've been they've been like hidden. We've been wanting, you know, a tool to actually like if you had asked anyone a decade ago whether they'd like to be paid for their Facebook likes or their Instagram likes or their Twitter likes it's would say, yeah, I'd love to, but, but no one's ever, that's not a normal behavior that people are accustomed to. We, we, mm-hmm. we joined the internet and we joined social media a decade ago and everyone was getting likes, getting, you know, follows, subscribes, whatever. And none of them were making money directly on that, you know, activity. Sure. You can monetize elsewhere and you can earn for ads and things mm-hmm. like that, but no one was actually making money for the specific activity of I liked what you just said. And I want you to have value. And so now we have this, we've opened the floodgates there. Now, anyone who likes what you post on the internet can pay you. And, and it's, it doesn't have to just be like the, the tiny payments are really interesting because it's new. But what we're finding right now is, is so this kind of like system of, of making payments after the fact, when you enjoy something This is kind of like value for value is the term that uh, people are using for this. And it kind of had its beginnings in podcasting, but it's now spreading to other forms of content on the internet. This doesn't, it doesn't mean everyone has to pay some tiny amount. People can pay really large amounts too. Like if someone really enjoyed a movie that you produced, or, you know, you created this incredible chart or this incredible Twitter thread, they can pay you, they don't have to pay you 10 cents, they can pay you hundred dollars. It could be $500, five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars. Right, like it's it's totally up to them. And there's no requirement, there's no obligation to make a payment. So it's a it's a very interesting uh, system that's unfolding, where creators now have the tools to monetize and. Where this all ends up, I'm not quite sure. It's it's really
0: <laughs> it's yeah. weird. It uh, it destroys boundaries in both corporations and nation states because mm-hmm. before to do a lot of sizable transactions, if you created a movie and somebody really didn't want to give you, let's say, ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, like if now we take the other extreme and go big that's kind of difficult. If you live in Brazil and the movie makers in Ireland, or you're in Canada and you wanted to do that to somebody in Australia, you'd have to kind of get a bank account down there. And is it, you know, taxes or tax receipts and all this kind of stuff. Whereas now when there's a digitally native currency that can have final settlement, settlement, the way you're describing, you're right. You can literally just send it across borders. there's no, the barriers, it's like the friction is gone. Yeah. I know there could be tax implications, Yeah. Like I know there could be still tax implications and all this. I'm not trying to say avoid taxes by any means. I just, I do mean though, it really does rip down the friction in a lot of ways.
1: Yep. Because then like, let's think about you and I could maybe send 10 cents to one another in the same country. You know, it might be, it might not be economical. It might be not worth our time to do it on fiat rails, We'd probably spend more in transaction fees, fees the actual sure. payment costs, mm-hmm. but we could probably figure out a way at whatever the minimums are for e-transfers or credit cards. I bet you and I could send each other a dollar, mm-hmm. but how would you do that? How would you do that overseas? You're, there's no chance you're getting a dollar payment there over, overseas in any reasonable time for any reasonable fee. Jeez. And so the then you know, there's a whole get global. level. It Overseas, it's not, you know, the, the thresholds in... North America is, you know, roughly $10 is what I find that below that merchants really don't want to accept credit cards and they don't like having to deal with Fiat payments, they'll deal with cash but they don't want to deal with the Visa and Mastercard processing fees. But if you're talking about overseas payments, now all of a sudden that threshold is not $10, it's like $100 or $1000, like you really don't want to have to make a payment to someone in Asia or in South America on a regular basis, it's, it's not an easy process. And, and the number of participants involved and the number of, you know, documents you have to, you have to connect all the dots on the, on the wire transfer, make sure you got all the the details, right? Like it's not a fun process to have to go through.
0: Well, just listening to you say this, it is occurring to me that technology is going to force this to happen because when there's so much more technology, you know, and people sharing information the way we are globally, you need a a natively digital form of money to match that because our current system is slowing down so much because of just what you're saying. Like, you're right. If I was going to send you less than $10, it, it, it's just a hassle, but mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's too slow. You know, it's like, you just want to move on and do other things. And on the flip side, I'm realizing that recently with our merchant accounts, we had um, some, some larger size charges go through and we basically had to beg for our money because the merchant account provider was like, well, what are these transactions? They don't match your normal transaction size. And we basically had to write essays, get on the phone multiple times with different levels of authority at the merchant account with their auditors or risk management department to basically tell them, yes, like these are valid transactions. And you almost feel like you're begging for your own money as a business. You already have a merchant account open. They've already approved you. You've done business for years, never had issues. And then if something doesn't match their criteria, you end up having to basically, what I feel is like beg for your own money and you do it because you want your money. But it also, it does feel a little bit demeaning. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to tell you. And then on the flip side, you're just making me also realize that I have a few friends who own some restaurants and they were telling me about the margins in their restaurant. And I can't stop thinking about like, the margins, you know, if they're going to make on on their business anywhere between 10 and 20% as a business, you know, maybe even lower if they're, you know, things aren't going quite right. If you can remove the merchant account fees that could be anywhere from like 1.8, 2% to 3, 3.5%, depending on the card, that's a big difference to their bottom line. So there's all these implications. And sorry, one last thing, Kevin. Now I'm hogging, I'm talking too much here, but you're making me also realize programmatically we haven't even discussed because now you can programmatically have a monetary unit that maybe gets spit out to Kevin every automatically every five minutes when maybe his podcast is listened to. Right, exactly. like it's just like automatically. Oh, Tom listened to Kevin for five minutes, and I've just put in every five minutes I listen to this guy spit out, you know, ten sats to him. Right. Yeah. And then never and mind. Could- every day,
1: that's like on on the podcast side. I'm seeing that I have now listeners who know that they can regularly send in lightning payments, and it happens every minute. So I see. So so where know- are you? Where are you? Is that on Fountain? Can you describe it yeah. for people? So yeah,
0: so can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I use, I use fountain for podcasting and that's, that's the tool that I use to manage and, and kind of like interact with the guests and or sorry, the guests are one component, but also the listeners. So I can basically use fountain. If I'm setting up a show, I can take the guests fountain username or their lightning pub key. If they have one from their node and I can put those into the show splits so that anytime someone sends money to the show, over the Lightning Network, that money gets split automatically between myself and the guest. And so every single show now, I ask the guest, can you send over your fountain username or your pub key? I'll put you in the splits. And then all the listeners know that if they enjoy the show, I say it at the beginning of every episode, they can just, they can contribute, you know, whatever value they got out of the show, they tell me, they decide. And, and that also is a signal for me as a podcaster, I can go, wow a lot of people sent in sats on this episode. They really enjoyed it or mm, not a lot of people sent in this one. It wasn't my best episode. Let's switch things up. Right. And so it's cool. You get a new signal and then you get to interact with the audience and they can contribute directly to you
0: with like no one else in the way. How, how's that working right now? Do I, does the listener have to do it through the fountain app? They have to be listening through fount- fountain fountain. No, they
1: don't have to be listening through Fountain. Uh, They can use they can use any podcasting 2.0 app. So this is kind of like a new specification that some apps support. And then from their they connect their Lightning wallet, or sometimes have your funds within the. For example, I believe on Breeze, Breeze is a wallet that also has a podcasting 2.0 integration.
0: Oh, does it? Okay,
1: podcasts and support them through the Breeze app, and so that will be visible to me using Fountain, but it's happening on a different app. And so, so you can see how the interoperability is also an important role here. And this is a common theme throughout lightning. What we're trying to accomplish is like allowing anyone to make a payment to anyone else and all being on the same interoperable payment standard. And so, you know, I, I regularly check my fountain feed and I see, you know, someone contributed from breeze, someone contributed from fountain, someone contributed anonymously. I don't know who they are and I don't need to know who they are. And that's great for them because they they may want the privacy. Maybe they just enjoy the show. They don't want to, you know, hear their name shouted out at the end of the episode. They just want to contribute. That's cool too. Huh.
0: Jeez. I need to use so I, I, this podcast that we record and share. So anyone listening to this, you can get to this podcast on the fountain app. I don't use it as much myself because I drive this Tesla and Spotify is built in. And I'm just telling you, like I listen to so many podcasts. I just launched the Spotify app and I'm listening to them all on there. But I, it does frustrate me a little bit because I know this all exists and I'm like, damn, I'm listening to so much. And I am the type of person that if I saw value, I would send sats back to somebody right away. So I know that will evolve over the next few years and my own habits will change. So you can see it coming because there's a whole bunch of people out there like myself who are not doing the value to value thing aggressively yet, but we want to, right. It's just, you know, we're kind of like right there on the cusp. Like I know it's there. I know it exists every once in a while. I will log in, um, and you know, do something, but it's not like a regular thing, but once that becomes a regular part of my every day, geez. That changes a lot.
1: And there are Um, still some frictions in the ecosystem. Like, I don't, I don't mean to paint the picture that everything's perfect today because it's certainly not. We've come a very long way in the last year or two. I mean, I remember just trying out lightning payments a couple of years ago, more than more often than not, I would expect the payment to fail. Like I would just almost be a little surprised if the payment succeeded. And now we're at the point where like 90, 98, 99% of payments are going through and this is this is coming from multiple sources on the Lightning Network. Different node operators—they're mm-hmm. all kind of saying, "Yeah, we're we're seeing 99% payment reliability, which is a great sign." But you know, there's there's challenges with uh, you know tax implications. All of a sudden, you start mm-hmm. sending a lot of money. You start converting it back to your currency. Which country do you live in? What what are your tax implications? Did you earn the money? Is it a gift? Right like that's something with yeah, new yeah. podcasting it's like is it income what like is i, this? I, I asked yeah. for it but i didn't i didn't force anyone to pay is it yeah. a gift is it a donation
0: you know it's very hard these these waters are still muddy what else are you uh... What else are you noticing that's catching your attention? I, I guess let me ask you specifically. On Stacker News in the last 12 months, are you noticing, an, uh, uh, I've seen some of the stuff you share on Twitter, are you noticing a change in usage on on some of these platforms?
1: Yes, across the board, actually. On on basically all platforms, I'm noticing. What I saw at the, about a year or two ago was a lot of the lightning apps that I was talking with or you know, trying to learn more about, they were all at the stage of like, hundreds of users. It was very, very early stages. Now, a lot of them, I've seen a ton of metrics in the lightning space that suggest a lot of these apps, and and some have confirmed this, that they're all in the kind of like tens of thousands of users range. Mm. So we've now seen this kind of jump from, you know, it's a hundred X jump really in the last like year or two where apps have now gone from like the earliest of early adopters to a bit more of a mainstream, but probably still early adopter audience. And one of the most, uh, one of the best examples to illustrate this point was uh, Noster. And uh, the kind of spark that was ignited in December uh, when Jack Dorsey started talking more about Noster and activity on the platform just, or on the protocol just exploded. And it went from, you know, pretty close to, I don't know the exact user numbers back in December, but it wouldn't have been more. I don't think it was more than- You could round that to zero. You could probably yeah, round could it to round zero. To zero. <laughs> and now it's today, I think I, I saw yesterday, there were over 800,000 profiles with bios on Noster. Doesn't necessarily confirm those are humans. They, there could still be some uh, some numbers that are not quite correct. But I think the consensus now is that it's in the six figures And there's hundreds of thousands of actual humans that are sending and receiving messages, and of course, payments are tied tied to those messages. So those are zaps on Noster. It's it's basically the same idea of what you have on Stacker News, where you can send Sats. You can now do it throughout the Noster
0: ecosystem. And for whatever reason, that's the media that I am drawn to and I've started zapping people and sending stuff out for, that's my entry point. Like I've been, I've been on soccer news a little bit and fountain, but for whatever reason, Noster to me is like, Oh, I'm reading these guys share stuff. I'm interested in anyway. I'll just use this platform. And now if I like something, I've been sending some zaps and you know, it took me a little while to get it set up. I have my pub profile. I figured out how to get my picture on there. It feels like the internet, like to me, you're too young to remember this, but in the nineties to get on the internet, like you would buy a modem from Best Buy or something, or the, you know, Radio Shack and you'd come home and you'd like jam this thing in your computer. And then you would connect to the internet and, you're, and you would cheer. You're like, Oh my God, like I connected, like it didn't fail. Cause sometimes it would fail. You wouldn't even be able to get on or someone else was on your home talking on the phone at home. And you would be like, mom, you know, like, can you get off the phone? I need to get on the internet <laughs> you know, yeah. so back in those days. And it would, then it would work, you would cheer and you're, you're making, you remind me of that when you say the lightning network, like we're so far past that, but we're also so early, Yeah, you know, and I feel like that's with, with Nostr. So can you just describe Nostra a little bit more for anyone who hasn't heard what Nostra is all about yet? Just what, what it is and what's going on there. Yeah. So I think
1: of it as like a, it's a censorship resistant protocol for passing messages or, or as they're called on Noster notes. And so you can do, it, it's very flexible. You can do all sorts of things. And I think we're at the very earliest stages of discovering what can be passed along as a message or a note on Noster. I mean, we're starting to, some apps are exploring direct messages, encrypted direct mes- messages as, you know, DM chat functionality. We see a number of apps already that do essentially Twitter, on Noster, which is you know decentralized Twitter, um, we have Jack Dorsey has put up a bounty of, I believe, 10 Bitcoin for someone to build a GitHub on Noster. And so there's all sorts of new experiments people are running about, you know, what can we put on Noster? How, what can we build that takes in and spits out messages to, you know in, in a way that cannot be censored? That's, that's the idea that people are kind of hoping to achieve here. And there's a ton of builders that have just flocked to the ecosystem in the last month or two. There's a ton of users. And one cool thing is that because if, if a builder decides they want to build a new app on Noster, well, there's already 800,000 of those users with bios on Noster. And so they, all they need to do is get the user to come over and check out their app. They don't need to make a new account or anything, there's no friction there,
0: right? Like with- Yeah, describe that. Why don't they have to make a new account? So if if you're using, the Noster protocol and you use a client to get onto it. So think of that for anyone listening to this language, think of it like you're using a certain browser or a certain piece of software to engage with Noster and share messages like you would on Twitter or something. Why can someone go to a different application or a different client or a different front end interface? And do, why do they not have to recreate their profile and recreate all these things? How, how's that working? So your identity is, is a key pair on Noster.
1: It's a set of it's a public and private key, similar to how your, your Bitcoin address is a public and private key. And so that follows you along through the Noster ecosystem. Whatever app you use, you can bring that key pair with you. You can also generate a new one if you decide you want a different identity or you don't want, you know, you want to lose your current identity. Tired with the entirely old one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's just as easy. It's just as quick as spinning up a new Bitcoin address or a new, a new wallet. And so you, you now have this functionality where you can now move between apps as you wish, and you don't have any friction
0: of, creating a new friend list, right? Like, like this is- Because it all pops that- up, like, you know, w- it it's all there. It's always on the network. So yep. when you use a new client and put in your private key to get back on that, you have to keep secure. But when you use that as your login, so instead of your email, you're using this private key. And when you do, everything that was on there is still on there. So your yep. picture pops up, your profile, your description and URLs and all the messages and all the friends that you follow and the things that you've liked, it's all there. Exactly.
1: And this is one of those things that has that web two products. So think like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, Google, like they have all used the fact that they have your user information on their platform to extract value from you. Like this is what, this is what they rely on and their ability to extract value comes from the fact that you can't just leave Facebook's ecosystem without losing all your photos, all your friends, all your connections, everything. And unless everyone all at once decides to leave Facebook or leave Twitter and leave Google, which to date they haven't, you know, unless everyone decides at once to do that, the next platform, it, it there's no way there's no bootstrap mechanism. Mm-hmm. You either need everyone to come in all at once and decide to join a new platform, yeah. or you kind of sidestep the whole thing with Noster and build a platform a protocol with identity at that base layer. Where now anyone who wants to build an app on top of the protocol, on top of the Noster protocol can now plug into the identities of the whole protocol. So everyone who exists on Noster can now
0: instantly be a user of any Noster app.: huh. So you bring better value to the ecosystem, and the people are already there. You don't have to like try to create an audience the users and audiences there, you just have to bring better value. It's really Mm kind of cool. And then it's almost like we're separating identification back away from the central controllers of web 2.0 because my Gmail address or my Hotmail or Yahoo or like, I don't know, whatever people are, Outlook, that email address is always kind of controlled, but now I'm taking identity back to myself. I have to protect that private key but I can log in from anywhere and nobody can really stop me. Exactly. And, you know, I wonder now,
1: like one thing I think about is what, what does this change about the companies that are building these apps? Yeah. How does their relationship with users change? Because now you can't force people to stay on your app. They can all leave in a day. You can't be an asshole. You can't be an asshole. That's what it does. (laughs) And then you also can't, you know, if, if I, if I built an app and said, Hey, everyone come over here. It's, It's a dollar a month. And then you built an app and say, Hey, everyone, come on over here. It's free. Mm. Well, they can, they can just move over. And so I I don't think a a completely free version of anything is going to, is going to be sustainable on Nostra because there are costs that you're going to incur operating on Nostra. But I think there's, there's a lot of competition that can now happen between apps and they're all competing to make the the most beautiful user-friendly interfaces. That all connect to the protocol, which has all the users on it.
0: Hmm. I wonder if this helps us transition from a world that really went to a a clickbait type of um, sales process. Like all media outlets ended up having to become clickbait type media places. You know, put up this kind of really um, clickbaity type headline because everyone's just trying to get clicks, trying to get clicks. And I wonder if this protocol forces people to adapt to really bring more value instead of just trying to get the click, right? Like, I wonder if it's like that big of a shift. Because the big media companies that when I was younger, we always depended on to be a trustworthy source of news, that all just got torn and thrown up in the air when everything kind of went to free with Google online and Google controlling that information. The media companies did not know how to compete. So then they just became advertisers on Google. And then when they were advertisers with their content on Google, they just needed clicks because their own other advertisers just looked at clicks for paying them. And it was this kind of like vicious, weird, ugly circle. And it's kind of deteriorated a lot of the good information. I wonder if this change forces people to really bring true value back to the economy instead of getting a very superficial click as the thing of value. Like you actually have to produce good content or you have to produce a client of value, something of value. I wonder if that happens and maybe not, maybe human nature just always kind of destroys things. Who knows? Yeah. There's there's that potential.
1: Yeah. It's still a bit of an open question. I think though that, yeah, you're right. The, the, previous model has always been centered around ads and clicks and views like pay-per-click pay-per-view. These are Mm -hmm. terms we we all know. And it's because that, that has been the metric by which you get paid. Mm -hmm. Now the metric is it's, it's a metric that's very subjective and it's different for every person. Right. Again, because like I can consume someone's content and I can find it so valuable myself that I can send them a thousand dollars and maybe, maybe everyone else in the world that saw that content only gave them a combined $10. Well, now I have changed the value of their... The, the amount of money they have earned has been influenced so heavily by just me that you know, you can see how individuals now have the ability to change the ways in which content earns money online. And whereas like no matter how much I enjoy a YouTube video, YouTube is going to pay that creator the same you know, penny or two pennies that they were going to pay them for, for me viewing the ads through the, through the episode. Mm, right? So now it's a bit of a different mechanism. But I will say that the, the one thing that's untested and unproven at scale is how well this value for value system will operate across the entire internet. Because you can make a case for people choosing to not give back and i think that that is it is the norm for most people to not give back i think roughly you know 95 to 99% of people probably aren't going to give anything to the for the creators that they consume the content they watch sure i think if you can count on that 1 to 5% of people continuing to give then there's a real case for value for value being this like internet standard way for monetizing content but it's still to be seen i don't know if that 1 to 5% relationship holds up
0: when the whole world is, is using these kind of apps. You know, that's interesting that you break it out like that. I think it will, because I think some people might consume some content and let's say they're not interested in sneakers but they'll, maybe they'll watch a few sneaker videos because their friend told them about, you know, some Nikes that were coming out. So they're consuming somebody who's sharing some good information on sneakers, but only one to 5% will actually donate, not donate, pay um, in Satoshi's or, you know, give some value for value back for those videos. But the other 95% are more casual, but those 95% might be very interested in another subject. So if they go somewhere else and watch somewhere on, you know, premier league soccer, And someone's giving good breakdowns or, or good training, how to, you know, how to increase your, I'm just making stuff up, like how to dribble better or something. And they're uh, providing good value there. The, 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 the people who didn't give any Satoshis or value to value on the, the previous videos about sneakers might be people who will in this other topic. Right So you know what I mean? I don't think it's like an absolute where it's one to five percent across the board. I just think it's maybe what interests you and it's a hundred percent of people will do some sort of paying for value, but just at different levels and on different topics.
1: Yeah. does, does that make can, sense?
0: It does. Yeah.
1: And I think you can make you can use apps to encourage people to donate as well and to like, for example, if I said, you know, my Twitter clone built on Noster, is 10 bucks a month, but the caveat is that the $10, only one of it goes to me. The other nine is going to be automatically dispersed to the people who you're engaging with on Twitter or on my version mm. of Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Then that's one example where you could get someone who wouldn't otherwise contribute or who doesn't want to go through the time of making payments for every single tweet that they see can have it automatically blasted out by an Oscar client or some, something like that. I think there's like a lot of mechanisms we can use to tweak the way that people engage with content, yeah. whether or not they decide to contribute. And I think at, at some level, like if, if people recognize that you as a creator are earning, like your livelihood depends on this model of working, then they, they may change their behaviors. Who knows? We may actually see more than one to 5% of people contribute mm-hmm. over time. Like, wow. I don't know how that plays out at yep. scale but it it could change to, because right now i don't think there's many people who are strictly earning their income on value for value there are a couple of podcasts that i've seen do that but i you know it's from people who are also earning income in other ways sure and so it's like if if someone was truly only earning money mm-hmm. in this method maybe they'd see a different output maybe they'd see more people contribute just just because they know that this person is you know, dedicating their life's work to this model.
0: Hard to say what I want. I want to honor your time here, Kevin, but I, I want to slip in a couple more questions here. What, uh, what's really catching your attention other than what we've already talked about? I saw you, I didn't have enough time to look into this. What are, what are, is it geyser projects? What is, what is that?
1: Yeah. So geyser is a, a funding platform. It's a fundraising. I think of like, uh, you know, uh, what's the, What's the popular funding platform like We Fund? Yeah, GoFundMe or something. F- GoFundMe, Go yeah, yeah. So it'd be like a GoFundMe on Lightning, where again we we're breaking down barriers here and allowing anyone to earn or to you know fund their project in Sats from anyone else in the world. And oh, so, got it. if I now say I want to donate, I I can donate to a you know A list charity, and I have no idea where that money goes, or I can donate to someone on Geyser who is you know, building out a project. They tell me exactly what they're trying to build, how much money they need, what they're going to use it for. And I just go ahead and and contribute sats. And I believe I can even, I, I haven't played around with Geyser enough, but I believe you can even programmatically send, like for example, Geyser has lightning addresses. So I could pop in my Geyser lightning address into a show, a podcast, I believe, and have funds come in from the podcast every minute to my geyser wallet. I believe that's possible now uh, but I have to confirm that. But there's all uh, sorts of these things that can now be done with with donations and fundraising that could never be done before. And they're seeing you know over a, over one Bitcoin a month now being donated to a few hundred projects on their platform. So it's promising promising traction. It's you know now 25 thirty thousand dollars a month uh, of
0: Bitcoin that is being donated to these projects. This is where the lines blur for me, because then in the future, if somebody is, again, I'll use Australia, like I was talking about earlier, if someone's doing something in Australia and I want to do, donate to this in Geyser, or maybe they're going to start... Something that turns into a corporation that I'm gonna have ownership rights in. And now you need a digitally native way to represent those ownership rights too. Like this feels like it's all coming. And this is what I mean by the, the you know, the, the 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 friction is going to dissolve here because the nation state becomes less important, the Canadian corporate becomes less important. Like if you extrapolate this out five, 10, 15, 20 years, you can see where this is headed. Mm-hmm. You're not going, to, you're gonna have someone's gonna have some ability somehow, some way to have legal ownership that's digitally rep- represented, digitally native. Yes. Not like, you know, someone started a corporation in Ontario, Canada, and you were a, you know, you were a resident here in Canada to participate in that corporation or to be a director in that corporation or a shareholder in that corporation. You can really see where this goes. It's kind of weird, Kevin, now that yeah. I'm talking to you, this Absolutely. is weird.
1: It's <laughs> it's still anyone's guess how, how that all evolves. Cause there's so many pieces of the puzzle that's still, you know, Bitcoin Bitcoiners have a saying Bitcoin fixes everything or Bitcoin fixes this. Well, there's a lot of things that Bitcoin on its own does not fix. And yeah, so might, we're gonna break. <laughs> yeah, the more we use Bitcoin, I think the more we'll realize that. Oh, wait, how do I issue shares for a company? Do I do mm. it the traditional way? That's eh, kind of the slow mm. way. I'm sure there's an easier way to do it. And and maybe there's some you know side chain or some kind of mechanism tied to Bitcoin that distributes these shares. I have no idea, but I'm uh, there's I think we're going to learn as we start as people start earning bitcoin, as people start slinging sats around the internet for their favorite content, they'll learn that there's a lot of things that still have not been built and I think some of these things will be more important as the base of people earning and spending sats also grows. Like it's not the end of the world that we don't have, you know, the QuickBooks tax reporting for lightning stuff because there's only, you know, a small subset of people using lightning today, but five, 10 years from now, when people are earning thousands of dollars a month for creating content on the internet, that, you know, the tax authorities in all sorts of countries are going to come asking, Hey, how did you, Mm -hmm. how do you, you know, account for these payments? And, and we, we will probably have a solution at that point. So yeah, there's a lot to be built still, but it's really promising. Uh, We're getting a lot of promising traction. This year has been the like, for sure, the, the most impressive year for lightning builders and lightning growth. And seeing now, you know, what, what was six or 12 months ago, just a handful of people, it seemed earning sats is now blown up to thousands of them on Noster now experiencing, you know, what, what it's like to send sats to and from, you know, each other.
0: If anyone listening to this wanted to start with doing something with lightning, what would you first recommend? Would it be getting a lightning wallet or getting one of the value for value apps? What, what would you recommend to someone listening? Who's like, Hey, I just want to play around with this a little bit. Yeah.
1: So I actually set up a website called stack sats.how. And it's a, basically a directory of places you can go two stack Sats, And if you're looking to kind of like the idea here is that I hope that it's a tool for people to earn their first sat on the internet. I think that's a really powerful feeling that like, a, you earned it. So it's not free. It's not airdrop. It's not like, you know, I'm going to get rich off it. It's like you put in some level of work. Maybe you played a video game. Maybe you, you know, posted something on SACR news. There's all sorts of fun ways to contribute at some level though you're earning. And you get your first sat. And then, you know, now you can do stuff with it. Now you can go play lightning poker. Now you can go play, you know, some, some other uh, video game. You can, you can use the sats on stacker news. You can send them to a podcaster. You can create your own podcast, start to earn sats that way, you know, and you can see the flow of funds happening on lightning. And then
0: once you grasp that, I think then you're off to the races. Kevin, I just, uh, yeah, I, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I don't fully uh, know where this drive comes from to share this stuff. What, what, what did first attract you to this whole thing? Other than you, you saw something happening that seemed interesting. W- where else was it? Just always an interest in technology, or like, w- where is this coming from with you? What's your motivation here? What I are you up to, so. Kevin? I'm trying to figure you out.
1: Yeah, I'm trying I to figure you.
0: <laughs> I, I think this
1: it it always is interesting to me when something's happening and no one's watching it happen or mm-hmm. no one's paying enough attention. Like I remember before, before lightning, well, there was Bitcoin in, you know, 2017, I guess before that there was 2013, 2014 Tesla. I was watching that and I'm like, no one's paying enough attention to that. And you know, now, now I kind of, I don't spend as much time talking about that stuff. Cause I think, I think now the world's caught up and the world realizes okay, you know, this is a, it's obviously it was one of the most valuable companies in the world. Now it has come true. The, the, the ideas that were seeded, you know, back a decade, two decades ago have now evolved into some incredible company. And I think there's some, there's some truth to that enlightening today. It's not a company, but it is an idea that is still massively underappreciated. And I just think that like being part of that will, will be valuable. For me and for others, and I think being able to spread that and, you know, accelerate that adoption, that's just fun stuff for me.
0: Yeah. I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate what you do. I feel like you're, I think I mentioned before we started recording, you're like a cheat code for me because when you post something about lightning, I know I just have to follow you and you're going to put the, out the latest data. Like, I feel like I'll be up to speed. I'll, you'll post something about wallet of Satoshi. I'm like, oh, cool. Look what's happening with wallet of Satoshi. Or you'll post something about like Nostr usage. I'm like, oh, cool. Look what's happening with Nostr. So um, with that, could you share your Twitter handle at least? And I know there's a bunch of other places to find you, but uh, your what's your Twitter handle? And then I don't know how to share a Noster public key very easily. So I don't know. How, how will people find you online? So Twitter, I'm
1: at KERook. That's K-E-R-O-O-K-E. On Noster, I believe you can search for my NIP5 verification. Uh, it's K-R at stacker.news. And so Stacker News offers a service to, to give yourself a little verified badge. And uh, I have a podcast, The Kevin Rook Show. And you can find that on all podcast platforms. And then stacksats.how is the website that I mentioned where you can explore ways to earn your first sats on the internet.
0: Cool. And when this podcast goes... Um, live, I'll have to remind myself how to do it because I haven't done it in a while, which I feel embarrassed to admit, but on, on the fountain app, I'm going to set it up that if anyone's listening to this and sends sats to Kevin as a thank you, they'll go to Kevin. So I'm going to set it up so that they go to you. Very so, it's cool. be, so if anyone's uh, listening to this and uh, wants to play around with the fountain app, I know there's others that they can use, but uh fountain is one of them. If you go on there and you figure out, it might take you a few steps to figure out how to get some sats over to him but if you kind of stumble through that you'll learn a ton and it'll be cool because we'll we'll be uh kind of supporting kevin in his journey here so we'll do that um cool. now I, I have to make sure that. when that one goes public i have to get in there and do that because our team here that puts the podcast out so now i have to uh and i'm traveling for a bit so i have to make sure when this one goes live i set that up right away but uh yeah we'll definitely do that i need a refresher it's embarrassing to admit that i haven't been in there for a bit so i got to get back in there so you're happy to help me you out yeah, cool. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Kevin, thanks, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for Thank taking you for the time me. to do this. Yeah, appreciate it's it. It's been man. a blast. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Kevin as much as I did. You can find him on Twitter at Rook. So that's K-E-R-O-O-K-E. Or you can get to his website that I just checked out, stacksats.how. How? And just scrolling through this website really quickly now for the first time, he has assembled a ton of great information on here. So if you want to figure out how to earn Sats yourself directly, you can go to stacksats.how. How? He's collected a bunch of great information here, and then you can find him on the Nostr network, I think. So you might have to explore this a little bit at Kr at Stacker. News. That's Kr at Stacker. Dot news. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate investing, of course, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com to find out all the information that we're putting out, including all the benefits you get of becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member. It's all laid out for you there at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.